Welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is Alator Shujan, your host and a chief medical resident at the University of Connecticut. A quick disclaimer before we start, all opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. We're back with this week's episode of Ambulatory Series, and today we will be discussing pulmonary function testing, or PFT. More specifically, our objectives will be to understand indications for ordering PFT, describe its components, and go over how to interpret the results. Let's start with indications for PFT. Some of the indications for ordering PFT are newly developed symptoms of dyspnea, cough, wheezing, or chest pain. If there were any changes in the existing pulmonary disease, or if you would like to assess response to therapy, that would be another indication for ordering PFT. For example, PFT can help assess response to immunotherapy in interstitial lung disease or monitor for pulmonary toxicity from chemotherapy. If you are suspecting an upper airway obstruction, vocal cord dysfunction, interstitial lung disease, neuromuscular disease, or diaphragmatic weakness, PFT will help you confirm or rule out these diagnoses. Before we dive deeper into PFT, let's break down what it actually entails. PFT is an umbrella term for three studies, spirometry with flow volume loops, lung volume testing, and diffusion capacity for carbon monoxide. Spirometry is usually ordered first and can be easily performed in the outpatient clinic. This test assesses the flow of the inhaled and exhaled air. Spirometry results in a flow volume loop and produces a forced vital capacity, or FVC, in a forced expiratory volume in one second, or FAV1. Spirometry can provide information to differentiate between restrictive and obstructive patterns, but sometimes other tests may be needed, which we'll discuss shortly. The x-axis of the flow volume loop represents volume of air in liters, and the y-axis represents flow of air in liters per second. The top loop represents exhalation, and the bottom loop represents inhalation. Going forward, I will refer to the top loop as expiratory loop and the bottom loop as the inspiratory loop. The shape of the loops can help differentiate between obstructive and restrictive patterns of lung disease. It will be challenging to describe the shapes to you, but I'll try my best. It is a good idea to commit to memory what a normal flow volume loop looks like, then you would have an easier time identifying abnormally shaped flow volume loops. In restrictive pattern, the shape of the loop does not change per se, it may have a narrower peak of the expiratory loop, but the volumes are significantly reduced and there is no tail in the expiratory loop. Obstructive pattern, on the other hand, tends to have a normal to enlarged volume loop, but have a concavity or scooping out of the expiratory loop followed by a tail, which signifies airway collapse as patient is trying to exhale. Fixed upper airway obstruction will have flattening of both expiratory and inspiratory loops. Variable extrathoracic obstruction can be seen with flattening of the expiratory loop, which is also seen with the vocal cord dysfunction. Lastly, variable intrathoracic obstruction will have flattening of the inspiratory loop. 
Aside from the appearance of the flow volume loop, the ratio of FAV1 to FVC and the value for SVC can help distinguish between the obstructive versus restrictive patterns. In general, if the ratio of FAV1 to FVC is low, it suggests obstruction. This is because in the setting of obstructive disease, it takes longer to achieve complete exhalation. As a result, the fraction of air expired in the first second will be low. The Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease defined low as the ratio of FAU1 to FVC being less than 70%. Lastly, in the setting of obstructive pattern, FVC is normal or high. If flow volume loop and FAU1 to FVC ratio suggests obstruction, but FVC is low, this likely suggests a mixed pattern, hyperinflation, or air trapping. Severe COPD can also present with low SVC due to flattening of the diaphragm. We will come back to the mixed pattern later on. For now, let's finish discussion of the obstructive disease pattern. If spirometry is concerning for obstructive disease, a bronchodilator therapy should be performed to differentiate COPD and asthma. Albuterol is usually administered for that purpose. A market response is usually defined as an increase in FAV1 or FVC by 10%. If, on the other hand, PFT is normal but asthma is suspected, a bronchoprovocation can be performed. Methacholin or mannitol are administered to provoke airway reactivity. The indication for bronchoprovocation could also be atypical symptoms that could be concerning for asthma, such as chronic persistent cough. If the ratio of FAV1 to FVC is normal or greater than 70%, that would be concerning for a restrictive pattern. If restrictive pattern is suspected, you would look more into another component of PFT, which is lung volume testing. Lung volume testing provides information on total lung capacity, or TLC, residual volume, or RV, and functional residual capacity, or FRC. Again, it will be most helpful to show you a diagram, but given this is a recording, I'm going to have to do a good job at describing this to you. TLC is the amount of air expired from a full breath, plus the amount of air that remains in the lungs at the end of the full expiration, or RV. The FRC is the amount of air that remains in the lungs at the end of a normal breath. The volume of a normal breath is defined as the tidal volume, or TV. There are three ways you can measure this. The most accurate way would be by body plethysmography, where patient sits in a sealed box and changes in pressure and volume are measured, by helium dilution or nitrogen washout technique. So why do we need lung volume testing? To make things simple, both restrictive and obstructive patterns will have a reduced FVC. Most of the restrictive patterns will have a decreased TLC, and most of the obstructive patterns will have elevated TLC. However, obstructive patterns with hyperinflation are more likely to have an elevated TLC, whereas obstructive patterns with air trapping are more likely to have a normal TLC. RV is more likely to be reduced in the restrictive pattern and is usually variable in the obstructive pattern. Let's complete our PFT discussion by talking about the last test within PFT, diffusion capacity for carbon monoxide, or DLCO. 
It measures gas exchange capacity of the lung. A decreased diffusion capacity does not always indicate an interstitial lung disease and can be present in anemia or pulmonary vascular disorders. If the rest of the PFTs suggest restrictive pattern, low diffusion capacity would likely indicate an interstitial lung disease. In obstructive pattern, a low diffusion capacity likely indicates emphysema, and a normal to high diffusion capacity likely indicates asthma. If your patient has elevated diffusion capacity, it could come from obesity, pregnancy, polycythemia vera, or left-to-right shunt. Interestingly, there have been cases of decreased diffusion capacity and TLC after COVID-19. Important to remember that not all restrictive processes will produce a low diffusion capacity. Chest wall limitation from obesity or neuromuscular disease can result in restrictive pattern on spirometry, but will have normal diffusion capacity. As you can see, it is important to consider all three components of PFT when diagnosing a patient and always take the clinical picture into consideration to make sure you don't miss anything. That's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in our next